Hey everyone, Sloan here. As you've no doubt ascertained, we're back with another episode of Free Money. Um, and we're very, very happy to share it with you. This time our guest is the fabulous Alicia Mecolini. She is a senior reporter at Institutional Investor and author of two excellent newsletters. Um, the first, Essential Allocator, tracks developments in the institutional landscape. And the second, She Spends, explores personal finance from a femme-focused social justice lens. We talk about whether the industry is making progress on various elements of diversity, what the most interesting stuff that she's come across this summer is, um, and generally what the vibe is like in the institutional world. Both of her newsletters are super worth checking out. There are links to this in the description of this episode and on freemoneypodcast.com. And, you know, so I usually beg you to leave us good reviews in this segment right about now. Um, and you still should, but there's also a quick programming announcement this week. Um, I started an asset management firm. It's called Invest Vegan, and we talk a whole lot about it in this episode. Um, but that also means that it's time for us to do some disclosures. So we hired an expert to help with us with that. Take it away, Sharkbait. Ahoy, free money podcast listeners. I'm Sharkbait Buckley, the disclosure pirate. And I'm here to set ye straight about what's going on with this here show. Sloan Ortel works for Invest Vegan LLC, a New York registered investment advisor. Ashby Monk works for Stanford University, Adapar, Future Proof, Long Game, and various startups. All opinions expressed by either Sloan or Ashby are entirely their own, and do nay reflect the opinions of their crew or any company. Clients who invest vegan may maintain positions in securities and strategies discussed in this podcast. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Invest Vegan and its representatives are properly licensed or exempted and a client agreement has been executed. Arr. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. Welcome to the Free Money Podcast. It's where we bring you the Brooklyn Bay Area consensus about institutional investing that you crave so badly, and we left you hanging for a but month. But we're back off the beach. But we're back. I was on the beach, Sloan, yeah, in yep. South Carolina. You I were on the, the actual, actual beach. beach. Not, not a metaphorical a metaphor- beach. I mean, you know, oh, I'm not hmm. like one of these dudes on garden leave. And you're like, oh, you were gardening? <laughs> and they're like, I've never gardened a day in my life. No, no, no. Fuck um, plants. I hate plants. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was on the literal beach because um, COVID's over. You know, like yep. I was in South Carolina. Uh, I didn't see a mask for quite a while, except at the airports <laughs> to give some credit. Um, uh, I, you might have a hard time adjusting to the news flow. I haven't checked. I haven't even checked the news. The it's it's over. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I was taking an improv class and someone in my improv <laughs> class got COVID. Um, and now it's because the uh, Delta variant's back, baby. And now we even have a Lambda variant. That's actually news uh, to me, the Lambda. You know, the Lambda. Yeah, that's like a non So are you telling me my <laughs> vaccine lottery work actually failed to convince people to get vaccinated? Well, I think that you can be proud of making Thank progress you. at the margins of Thank a very you. big problem. Yes. You know, um, that like, and like the thing, like, you know, I think that some people are going to be convincible. Some people are going to be not, you know, we do really need like a society-wide Manhattan project to get, you know, people like actually believing in facts again. 
Um, it is tragic. But yeah, I mean, like, I mean, I, we're, we're joking it's, a it's, little bit here. I've already gotten two emails. My kids went back to school um, yesterday. We've gotten mm. two emails from my daughter's school. Uh, she's fourth grade. My son is sixth grade. They're frequently on the podcast here. Uh, <laughs> well known, yeah, well to known the free buddy listeners, the listener. <laughs> um, especially during the COVID years. In each school, yep. <laughs> um, we've already had a case. And that, yeah, I mean, like, that's not surprising. It's really like, and I, I guess, you know, it's, it is staggering to see this massive just yeah. own goal, um, you know, as that we're going through as a society. I mean, like, I guess, you know, even author authoritarian regimes, though, like China's having Delta uh, variant outbreaks, like, you know, um, I, so it may just be also that the virus is very good, not just that we as humans are very bad. I also see, um, at least here in the U.S., like just an acceptance that we're all going to get it. Like I see now that we're now that we've got COVID, um, like whatever. Yeah. Some of us have antibodies. Um, I think people mm -hmm. are like, I just assume I'm going to get it. It's not going to be that bad because I'm vaccinated and I'm going to carry on. The interesting yeah. thing is in places like Australia, where they're only 20 percent vaccinated, even worse than us. Mm. They're, they've had 200 yep. days of lockdown um, over the last year. Not well, in a row. Did, not in a row. I did not like, even realize that. No, the, the that's like there haven't been that many days in the last I, year. I mean, well, like, that's I like, think we're doing know, trailing twelve. We're, we're talking about we're doing trailing trailing twelve. Yeah, trailing twelve. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> sorry, gotta define my gotta define wait, wait, second. They've been locked down for the last six months. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty brutal. Um, but look, uh, you know, I I do a lot of work with the Australians and it's been wild last six weeks. Like every time you get them, they're all in, in their houses. And there was a long time when we were in our houses that they were in the office. And yep. so, um, yep. yeah, it's still it is definitely still going out around the world. So too bad. Have you been good, though? Have mm. you been anything going on in your in your life? I mean, the big Sloan story is that I started a small business. Interesting. Um, you know, about, which will come as no shock to regular listeners of the Free Money Podcast. Um, I, it's called Invest Vegan. Oh, my goodness. HTTPS, investvegan.org. Interesting. Yeah. So you are now um, uh, selling yeah. investment advice. Well, I will be. I'm not accepting any client accounts until uh, September 6th because I still have to get Arizona missions insurance in place. Um, I want, you know, but then I will be. Quick tip. Quick tip. <laughs> just call that oversubscribed. Uh, like, you know. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. Wait. To, the reason I'm yeah. I'm I'm waiting uh, to accept new clients is because we're you know, overwhelmed by the inbound here at Invest Vegan, and uh, yeah. we just aren't taking on new yeah, clients yeah, yeah, yeah. right now. Um, but there's a queue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We can redeploy all that we yeah, learned <laughs> over the last 20 years to create <laughs> the most badass. <laughs> I mean, kind of, that's like, you know, it's a little bit, it's funny. Like what, as you go through the process of doing this, I had sort of talked myself out of ever thinking about starting an investment management firm. Um, because the reasons not to do it are so yeah. fucking well-documented. Like, you know, it's super hard to beat the market. Like, you know, you wind up like in this marketing machine, whatever. But like that, yeah. that's the meta narrative. And I think the truth on the ground is like a lot different. I mean, like in the background of all of the regulatory changes that have happened over the last 10 years, the RIA space has, you know, evolved as this incredibly nimble place 
um, where like, you know, I've got this business up and running. I think I've spent less than, you know, 6,000 bucks, you know, on legal fees and, you know, branding and all the stuff, Um, you know, and I'll be able to, you know, run an institutional like or or retail managed account um, pretty easily from interactive brokers and or altruist with like no capital, like software subscription fees or whatever. Um, So that means I can do like no minimum as a product, right? Like I can, you know, and like I can, um, you know, position my business to be a lot more kind of like um, durable, I guess, and not need to raise a million grillion dollars and have right. a million Bloomberg machines and do all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, but yeah, like it's been really exciting to like actually go through validating like, you know, the whole maybe if we screen out all the companies yeah. that are murdering the world, <laughs> uh, you know, and like a lot of the moral ambiguity of ESG investing, you know, sort of gets you know, back, backed away when you start thinking about investing vegan, because like, uh, you know, if you look at the exclusion policies on institutional investor websites, like, you know, they'll be like, well, we're thinking about coal, you know, there's a press release every other week about like this firm or that, or this pension or that pension is like reevaluating sure. holdings in coal or whatever. And like, you could simply not do that work by not owning the companies at all. Um, <laughs> That's one choice. <laughs> I don't think the pensions are going to be yeah, allowed I, to just I, do that. I don't think they can do that. Yeah, yeah. But but people can do that. Like we can be your experiment. Exactly. And I'd like to make a recommendation that like every we should Mm. because both you and I are now building multiple companies. Like, uh, I mean, (laughs) we first of all we got the free money empire, which is growing. uh, Free money, yeah, very quickly. Yep. And yep. Recently got some VC well, money. Oh yeah, Kushner and I was going to suggest uh, <laughs> we should take our balance sheet and potentially invest it in Invest Vegan. Uh, 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 we may uh, need oh, to, mm, you know, that's lower be, your non-existent minimum. It's be hard to make room for um, that. But, but, but the other thing I was going to say is we should add a segment on the show where we have like a school of hard knocks where each of us are like, what, what was the insane hard oh, thing fuck. you did this week, right? Oh, that's a great idea. I love that. I love that. Cause yeah, it really is like, you know, there's, it's, there's joy obviously in the, in the, in this practice, but you know, if anyone could talk me out of this, yeah. I wouldn't have done it. Uh, like there's like so many good reasons not to do it. It's been so stressful. Our house is a mess. <laughs> um, you know, and yeah, that's, let's that's, do it. I think that'll be a really good thing. We'll figure out where to slot it. Yeah. We'll do, we'll yeah. both do it. We'll both do it uh, right. off the top or something like what insane things. Yeah, yeah. So here's what we broke this week. We spent our entire week um, fixing this. Um, okay, so I've got some news. <laughs> I was lying earlier. I knew mm. what was going on in the world. <laughs> uh, but I but I do have news. And there's some good news. And as usual, the news leads into one of the guests that we may or may not have later. So, But, but mm. let's start with, mm-hmm. um, interestingly, dovetailing out of the, the convo we just had, NASDAQ put out a report this week that said um, impact investing is not just for equities anymore. And the kind of side mm. tagline is... Fixed income can also be tagged and scored according to impact. And it's, it's, hmm. it's obvious, right? Like fixed income markets are bigger than equities yeah. and there's green bonds and yep. there's even blue bonds, which is, uh, say that three times fast. Um, <laughs> blue bonds, <laughs> <sorry>. blue bonds. <laughs> anyway, um, 
And so the funny thing is, I agree with that. Like, boy, we could do a lot of impact. But the data is even worse on the fixed income side <laughs> than it is on the equity side. Like most governments yeah. can't even tell you like, oh, we issued this municipal bond. Here's how many jobs were created. Here's how much social housing mm. was created. Here's the people that were on welfare that are now paying taxes. Like that that's the kind of stuff yeah. you would expect from a, a government bond that would be available that people like you and I would get excited about. None of that is being captured to my knowledge. Um, mm. And so when NASDAQ mm -hmm. puts this out and says, look, fixed income, this is the future of impact. I agree. But the data requirements remain the same. It's very challenging. Yeah. And, yet, and like, I think like the kind of like, I mean, we had Ulf uh, Erlinson on, a, on a, a couple of weeks ago, the kind of strategy he's doing where he's like, you know, out here bullying individual issuers, okay. you know, um, like to do to do stuff like that's a lot cleaner to me than like, oh, yeah, we have a ratings agency inspired approach to this, you know, where, you know, we've got some stuff that's double B and stuff, some right. stuff that's triple A or whatever. Yeah, the rating. I mean, yeah. although interesting, S&P, uh, I think, put out a story today saying they're or no, sorry, this week saying they were going to start using climate in their ratings. So so some of that mm. bond rating methodology will begin to pick up these impact sort of ESG impact um, things. Moving into mm. my second story, it better, which is related to impact and activism. Um, not sure if you're following mm. the Ben and Jerry's situation. Um, mm. in, in, is that's there right. Anything that, yeah. Is that so, uh, yeah. And, and by the way, Ben and Jerry's is delicious and I eat it all the time. So that's like, we, we could have a conversation about, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the, the Ben and Jerry's discourse that gets yeah, look, if you really, the media. If you, you really know? want to have a chat about Ben and Jerry's, we just talk about the flavors, uh, or about how Ben and Jerry's, um, ha, you know, has staked out quite an aggressive position on Israel and in particular the West Bank. But that's actually not what I'm here to mm -hmm. mention. Um, the pension fund boards of New York, Illinois, and Texas have decided that this topic is important for them to weigh in on. And they are debating whether or not mm. they should uh, buy or sell out of, I think it's Unilever, which is the holy... Is it they own Ben and Jerry's now? At some point, Ben and Jerry's sold to Unilever. Yep, yep. yeah, they acquired um, Ben and Jerry's. And, and so these pension fund boards are spending all this like scarce resources having these big debates about Ben and Jerry's. And to me, um, it's a profound misuse of governance time, right? Like uh, there was a big yep. article about yep. how these boards should not be spending time on these political issues. I have a different take here. I think it's okay for boards to spend time on political risk, just as it's okay to spend time mm. thinking about diversity, inclusion, climate. These are all aspects of your portfolio exposure that like, why not have a view on? I mean, yeah. And like China just, you know, did, did political risk in the biggest way ever. Uh, like, you know, it, like it's gotta come up. You have you to do. have space for it. It's not like a topic you could just stick your you head do. in the sand. E except on those three pension boards, I would much prefer <laughs> if they just punt to the investment team and say, yeah, you're managing all the investment yeah. risks. Keep managing it because the boards have so many other problems to deal with. Like what I think most people yeah. don't realize here is like the boards don't have endless time. They are they have calendarized meetings. There's a certain amount of time. 
And for the board members to actually like get up to speed and think about this, it would be far better for them to think about a portfolio analytics system or a risk system or, you know, changing the compensation mm. protocols or all the things that like actually move the needle for the portfolio. Like whether or not they hold yep. Unilever does not move the needle. At, at, you know, it just doesn't. Yep. And, and so. Yep. Yeah. Unequivocally. So to yes, me, yeah. this is just dumb. But for but it's dumb for different reasons. <laughs> like everybody's saying it's dumb yeah, uh, yeah. because it's like they shouldn't think about geopolitics. Uh, I think it's dumb because they have a bigger problems to to focus on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that that does that task squarely it belongs does. in the yeah. investment team. Um it's which stock to buy or own, buy or sell. That is a like, you know, the, I mean you don't need policy level restrictions on that. Um uh, you need a process that incorporates that you know, whatever you're worried about at the board level into the investment decision. I am now regretting that I didn't talk you into that PhD, Sloan. <laughs> this is like, <laughs> my God, you're speaking the delegated authorities playbook back to me. We should have done it. Anyway. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I mean, the podcast is, it's really, you know. It is. And frankly, at the end of it, you know, the universities <laughs> may be willing to give you some sort of a honorary. This is going to be such a big deal. <laughs> There may be honorary PhDs down the road. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, last bit of news. Very interesting bit of news from my perspective. Because mm. we normally think of asset owners as investing with asset managers. Is that a fair statement? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, like, that's like they're yeah. owners and then there's managers. And they're, you know, we think of One them mutually has the capital. And maybe from time to time in places like Canada, the people who have the capital also invest directly in companies. But for the most part, they give money to managers who then go off and give money to um, companies. Uh, Mubadla and BlackRock struck a very interesting deal whereby BlackRock is investing. BlackRock is, in a, is a money manager, in fact, the biggest on the planet. Yeah. Um, so you can't yep. tell me they don't have a lot of internal capabilities to manage money. You can't say that. What you can say is that they have chosen to take quite a sizable sum of money um, and invest it with Mubadla. And, Mu and Mubadla, yeah. um, I think what's happened here is BlackRock has a group that does secondary um, secondaries and liquidity solutions. It's got about $3 billion. They've mm -hmm. taken more than $500 million. I think it might even be $600 million, but we'll have somebody to ask in a, a brief minute. Yeah. And, uh, a mere second, and, yeah. and BlackRock is invested. They're buying out the fund one for the private equity fund for Mubadla and they're investing in fund three. And so we literally have a situation here where the manager is investing in the owner. And I've never, you know, yeah. I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. I've seen asset owners investing with other asset owners. Um, I've seen asset owners yep. try to bring in third-party capital like that, but I've never seen a manager choose to invest in an asset owner's fund. Yeah, it's very, I mean, like I had to read that story a couple of times. I'm, let's bring Alicia Piccolini into the conversation uh, and, uh, you know, and just ask her. About she wrote the she darn wrote, story. She, story. she keeps writing <laughs> the stories that we put in the news. Um, <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's like when you're when you're True. good, you're good. Um, Hi, Alicia. We were just talking about your story. Uh, Hi, the, um, BlackRock. How are you guys? Uh, Mubadla, which is how you pronounce it. 
My gosh, we were yeah. like, what a what a weird just, deal. I don't think I've ever seen anything like this, where an asset manager invests in an asset owner's fund. Like, give us the details. How much went in there? Like, is this the craziest thing you've seen? Like, <laughs> I I was surprised by it. They said it was like seven hundred million, along with like two. But they had co investors with them who were institutions, and then there were like, <laughs> I it was just really complicated. And I know already this. Mubadala has institutions yeah. investing in its asset management. Yeah, I think arm, we were for oh, BlackRock. Yeah, and, and to do the the secondary and the and, and the invest like all packaged up at the same, and it's the second time they've done it. Like the, I, I mean, I feel like I've been sitting on my thumbs. Like uh. I think that if I swirl my tea uh, around and look at the leaves at the bottom of the mug, I would expect BlackRock is playing for a soft bank like relationship. Where, um, you know, Lubadla mm. put, what was it, 13 or $15 billion into a SoftBank vehicle. Um, and I mm. believe SoftBank also, I'm totally mm -hmm. like now forgetting. I think SoftBank had a venture relationship with Mubadla um, that like preceded that. And so maybe that's what, mm. maybe that's what's going on here. This is just a, a real deepening mm -hmm. relationship between BlackRock and frankly, Abu Dhabi. Yeah. Cool. Well, we want we're pumped to have yeah. you here because we keep yeah. talking about the story. It's really interesting. Right. And, and and also uh, Ashby. Keeps I am just calling you Alicia now <laughs> because I I was just like, trying to say it before we got on the phone and um, yeah, still not still not coming out of my mouth right. Uh, it's a little bit like slow to jump at Mubadala. Mubadala. So what, what we want to talk a little bit about the institution space and then get to some of the other stuff. But like for you, you're, you're like covering the same beat as us now. You're very focused on asset allocators. You're writing this awesome newsletter about asset allocators. Like for you, what are the most surprising institutional stories that you covered this summer? If there is one. Um, and, and like, what are also like, are, have you seen anything really smart that institutions have done that we want to be like explaining to the listeners? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think the big story right now is just all of these crazy. performance numbers coming mm -hmm. out and them being so crazy high. I am <laughs> curious about like where we go from here. Like, I, they can't stay like this. How do you explain to your board and your stakeholders like this is not happening forever? And, you know, how do you position your portfolio moving forward? I think forward I saw Mississippi generated 33% and it was like, I don't want to like talk down to Mississippi. I just never heard of Mississippi's pension plan much. You know, it's like I couldn't, <laughs> most of the plans out there, I'm like, mm -hmm. I don't know what they're doing. I don't even know what Mississippi's doing, but I know they're generating 33% returns this year which is a big eye-popping number. Mm. Right, right. And it's not just coming from like the public markets being up so much as those private investments, you know, returning for people. And like, does that also continue when valuations yeah. Yeah, are Yeah, and like so, so many of those, right those victories are kind of what, like I think, I, I think it was, it might've been, I think it was an institutional investor story, but the University of Minnesota pension, like having something that they, that was like, you know, all of their private markets return in one year. <laughs> um, you know, the, I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that's lumpy, 
Um, and that's why we love the private markets. They're, you know, they're lumps McGee, but um, like, yeah, I mean, what comes next is anyone's guess. And I'm sure there will be some devastating surprises there. Yeah, I'm not. Well, as a journalist, I'm looking forward to covering it, but that's uh, it's not good for I mean, like the Yeah, I mean, like, I'm curious, you know, I mean, you mentioned that, you know, there's some chaos occasionally in the institution, in the institutional investor space. That's like interesting to cover for journalists, uh, but not necessarily, you know, like it's it's a space mm -hmm. that is like so clicky. I mean, like we've had, you know, multiple free money guests who have a, a picture of a sailboat on their wall, just like I do. Um you know, right behind my desk and, you know, with all that signifies or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, is it worth trying to have a master narrative um, as we approach the, the institutional landscape? Or, or is it more like, do you think about it more as an institution specific thing? Um, I, that's such a good question. I think it's a combination. Like, you know, as you go in to cover these stories, you have to have a couple of things like thematically that you know are going on, performance being one of them, you know, ESG, crypto, staffing changes. But then you get these like more institution specific stories that like maybe can reveal something broader about the industry, but like are also just interesting because sometimes crazy things happen and people really like to read about that. And I like to read the, the institute. I know that you know a ton about the retail space as well. And, and the institution space is just not, it, I mean, it can be mm -hmm. that exciting, but it, it's often not um, as like, I don't know, headline grabbing. Like people tend to like want to write headlines about Robin Hood being sued by Massachusetts mm -hmm. or something like that. Um but from you, like, are you catching like right. parallels between the retail and the institutional world? I mean, obviously, like the ESG and crypto space um, seems like it's starting to bubble up in both in a big way. Mm -hmm. I would say like portfolio construction is not something a retail investor cares about, but it's probably something you're covering a lot now. Um, just curious to hear like the, the two worlds and how you're reconciling them. Mm hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, as people get wealthier, you know, they're putting more money into the RIA space. We have an RIA focused reporter and then that gets pushed up into family offices and institutionalizes at some point. So I think there's that continuum. That being said, I think institutions see themselves very separate still. I was at one of our events last week in Atlanta and was leading a discussion on uh, Reddit and Wall Street bets and... The institutional investors did not want to talk about it. They were like, this does not affect us. Like, you know, it's interesting to have a headline about, but like, we're not. Next doing time you should say, are you LPs in Silver Lake, the biggest so, uh, private equity fund on earth, which owned AMC? <laughs> it does affect you. <laughs> you know? Right, right. But they, it's one stock in such a big that's portfolio true. i guess that's what the you know thinking is but i don't know because i think maybe this does change the markets on your term it changes certain hypotheses about how we think it works and maybe that also changes how you build your portfolio but i, I feel like there's like a snobbiness right now, thing happening no. here too where like you know i mean the the you know having just started an RIA, mm -hmm. i can say with love that the RIA space 
is much sweatier mm. Mm. Uh, than the institutional space. Mm. You know, it's like it's just, there's just like. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there's a lot. Yes. I, I mean, when I was going through getting insurance, they were like, do you want to sell like things that openly steal from your clients? And I was like, no, I, 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 I don't want to do that. They're like, okay, but we had to ask just because, you know, um, so like, I, I, I guess, I mean, do you think that there's like a, a hesitant hesitance to identify with the great unwashed thing? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Oh, they didn't go to school for it. They don't know what they're talking about. They didn't spend how many years sitting in a cubicle, yeah, like yeah, exactly. Looking at they, a spreadsheet. You know, clearly, know? You know, not not aware of the you know the patented you know Liz Zhang method of of doing research but Sloan, uh, that was discussed in a previous. Your website episode. is like slicker the longest than one. most of their websites. I was looking at your website, and I have to say, <laughs> you got some seriously talented um, design and graphics on there. And if you look at your website, you open Aww, up the old Calpers you. website. Um, you know, <laughs> there's something to be said for entrepreneurial spirit and uh, craft. Although maybe you have quite a bit less to lose, so you you. <laughs> I have fewer stakeholders to satisfy. Certainly, the, the, I mean, like I have to make sure the cat is fed on a regular basis. Um, Speaking of which, but, I would love to hear at some uh, point you know, what Evan. they were pushing at you that would steal money from your clients. <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh, it's private oh, real estate okay. investment trust. It's like a thing. It's a mm. thing that people do for some reason. And like, you know, the only mm. reason that it exists as an asset class is because of the commission structure, which can be in excess of 7%. Just to buy real um, estate. On a private, just to, just to buy real estate, you know? Um, anyway, <laughs> Alicia, um, I want to talk about she spends because like, you know, the, <laughs> when we think about these, you know, these macro narratives, whatever, there are so many destructive social norms that wind up getting talked about in financial terms, right? Like, I mean, the, like somebody a while ago was like, you know, all, all women want worth marrying are debt-free virgins, you know? Uh, <laughs> and and like, like, I, I mean, I obviously hang out on some bad places of, on the internet, but like the, you know, what are the patterns that you're observing and what are you, what can be done about them, you know, in terms of making a better narrative? In, more, in, more, yeah, like more in terms of looking at like personal side, finance or, or retail investors. Are, I mean, I guess also, on, if you want to talk about the institutional side, mm -hmm. too, I mean, there's sort of a continuum. <laughs> no, I hear you. <laughs> right, right. No, I, I see sort of the biggest problem with, you know, personal financial advice and like what's going on out there right now is that there's really mm. a lack of discussion of class. Um, you know, typical like CFPs, CF, like, you know, the people who are advisors aren't targeting people who like actually could use advice. They're targeting yep. people who can pay them fees and like cover costs for running their business, which, you know, it's fair to do, but it, it's not really helpful to most people. And I found even like, in writing about personal finance for a couple of years now, it's hard to say like save money every month whenever you know people aren't making enough money to get by. So that narrative and that sort of piece feels missing. And I don't know really how to fix that because mm. what do you tell people who don't have money? Like <laughs> totally reminds more me. of it? Okay. Yeah. We were starting a long game like six years, five years ago, six years ago. We were like, we're going to gamify savings and help people save for retirement. 
And then we got into the accounts of these people and it was like, oh my God, you have credit card debt of 14%. Like, let's pay that first. And so what, what we pivoted towards was like building a rainy day fund, actually, instead of pushing them into a 401k so that if they have a rainy mm -hmm. day fund and their car breaks down, they don't have to go and put, you know, $250 on a credit card. They can, they have enough cash to do it. And it's like, I don't think people realize how many mm -hmm. people out there are, are not yet even ready to begin the savings journey because they're still just unwinding debt. It's like most of America. Right, right. Especially, yeah, and millennials, especially with the student loan debt, it's just like impossible. How do you even tell people like you should be thinking about retirement when this huge- Yeah, it's like, honey, I just want healthcare. Of them still. Yeah, you know, like, uh, Ugh, um, yeah. and you know, and you're just like, well, yeah, but all I can talk about is retirement because that's what I sell at my finance firm. Is that what I sound like? <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, no. Just joking. I, I mean, like, but the, the, the industry <laughs> as a whole is set up to sell tax-free compounding. And that, like, that's like the, you know, that's the message. And so, mm. you know, that's why, you know, every everyone's got, you know, gotten told that to max out their Roth IRA a bazillion times. And, you know, people feel bad if they can't do it, mm -hmm. um, which I think is bad. Um, let's talk about even more cheerful topics. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, George Floyd was murdered by police a year ago. Uh, and uh, a lot of people made a lot of statements mm -hmm. about it. And like the, you know, people sort of took this vow to change, you know, publicly, I guess, in some cases, has anything happened a year later that makes you feel optimism about this? Uh... So I'm a perennial skeptic about this kind of thing, especially whenever it comes to the world of finance. Um, and I think like a good case study in this is BlackRock. Um, so <laughs> Um, yeah, here we go. Um, so I, earlier this year, published an investigation about racism and sexism at the company and sexual harassment as well. Um, and that came out of people responding to Larry Fink's statement about George Floyd. They were upset about it. And that's sort of where the reporting began. Where the story eventually ends is that they, you know, say that they had investigated the company and like published a pretty um vague report on like how they're changing there wasn't a lot of information on what they actually found that they released to the public and i think just seeing that you know this institution that's under quite a bit of pressure publicly not only from like our reporting but from other publications and they had a couple of people who worked there that went really public with it you know and what they've done is some, but they really haven't like radically changed how they operate. And I, I don't even know if we could expect a financial institution to do that. Like, what would that look like? And what would be enough for people? Like, is that possible within I finance? I don't know. I can play yeah, the I mean, asset manager's yeah, advocate. Um, we don't call it devil's advocate around here, but I, I think, I think, um, <laughs> just joking. Hey. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Part of yeah. me wonders, you know, I read that, I read that story. It's a fascinating story that you wrote. And part of me wonders, because in, in the institutional space, often the organizations that really try to measure this 
get vilified. Um, so like the, the early actors that like actually go into the journey of saying, actually, let's measure it. Let's start like reporting on it. And everybody's like, Oh my God, look how racist this is. Like the PPF in London that like went and measured this stuff and realized they have, they have very little gender diversity and racial diversity. And they want to do something about it. You know, um, Larry Fink for like all the foibles that you, you know, you're pointing out, like he put climate risk on the agenda of just about every single pension fund on earth by stating climate risk is financial risk. And so, you know, part of me is like, um, mm-hmm. I want to like more reports like this. I want like more, ex- well, exposés is the wrong word, but I want more like transparency into these issues because I think mm-hmm. the three of us know that this is like pervasive in wall street, you know, like, I've um, been to enough investment conferences that like there's right. a certain type of right. human being that goes to those conferences and there's certain types of people that don't necessarily make it on the invite list. So anyway, I'm just suggesting that maybe like there's something positive in, in just in that act of trying to report it and be out of. Mm-hmm. I no, I completely agree. Like I think that they've in going public about this and in making these, you know, promises, they've kind of pushed themselves ahead of a lot of other asset managers. And, you know, in a world, like, in my view, there, there's so much more to be done, but like, it, it, I don't know, they, they have done something, right? Like, you know, we hear a lot of names, especially as reporters, like, of like other institutions we could be investigating and try to do it. but it's hard to get people yeah. to talk about their Yeah, I mean, I, I keep too. thinking about, um, as you think about Larry Fink, and I'm going to draw a comparison that is like not meant to you know, imply any uh, specific wrong, wrongdoing on Larry Fink's part, but like, um, you know, our governor just resigned here in New York. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Andrew Cuomo is someone who, um, you know, championed like legislation that, you know, led to New York being very progressive on, you know, a lot of workplace discrimination stuff. But, you know, nonetheless, he himself, you know, created a, a, just a really disgusting work environment, um, you know, and had a vibe that was mm. off to a lot of people. And, you know, like, I, I, like, I think like, I know like bros at uh, various like of these firms that are like trying to do the right thing. Um, and many of them are really good people. Uh, certainly all of them who listen to this podcast. Uh, <laughs> but like the, you know, <laughs> there definitely are people who have Cuomo-esque vibes that, you know, have been kind of pushing themselves to the fore as champions of inclusion and diversity um, in this terrifying. Can I ask you two like a quick question on, on like the outcomes of the me too stuff? Because I think as we got into that me too movement and it, you know, took full steam, I wondered, and I don't, I actually didn't have to wonder, like I have, I had people say this, that like people were more worried about hiring women into little tiny partnerships of which like many asset management firms are like four people, you know, eight people. And so I don't know if there's a, a link here to this, but like, I worry that mm-hmm. these negative stories come out and then people are like, well, screw it. We're not reporting any of it. Um, and it's almost as if like the world is gray, it's not black and white. And we all need to like have a nuanced understanding, but people don't take the time for the nuance, you know, so it's just hard. Right. I think we think of, you know, things like Me Too in, in very black and white terms where it's like, 
if you did that, you're a horrible person and you don't deserve to have any, anything in your life anymore. And that's not true. Like we can take a restorative justice approach to things and say like, okay, maybe you don't need to be in power right now, but like, that doesn't mean that you're a terrible person. We grew up in this society where it's like acceptable to treat people this way. And like, yeah, you can it, learn that's, I mean, like, you know, these big social problems are, you know, going to be problematic, right. As we like, uh, you know, work on restoring them, especially like if you're in, you know, I, I guess like it, you know, when it comes to thinking about the big institutions, like the Black Rocks of the world, um, you know, one of the questions is like, how much do we want to believe that the leaders of the past are the leaders of the future? Um, you know, and like, if there is a different tenor in, um, you know, kind of the way that institutional investors are approaching their partners and caring about these sorts of alignments, uh, you know, about social issues and stuff like that. <laughs> You know, it, it doesn't feel crazy uh, that you could have other firms evolve and, and kind of drink BlackRock's milkshake. And I personally, I mean, like, you know, we had engine number uh, one on like last week and, you know, they're like literally mm. se to me seem to be set up to drink BlackRock's mm. milkshake, uh, <laughs> you know, and like outcompete their, uh, you know, their index fund business. So, you know, hopefully, I mean, I feel like that is kind of. I'm hoping mostly for that, but I'm also cheered by the response of the, you know, like when people take it seriously. And I would love to see more, more activism on the asset owner side with their asset managers. So, so asset owners, not just like voting proxies mm -hmm. with companies to get board diversity, but asset owners demanding of their asset managers that these different policies are in place, like, a, you know, almost like a corporate governance structure for the managers. I think that is kind of the next phase of ESG where, because it, it, it rolls downhill from there. Right, right. I think that's something that like, there's so many frameworks they could use or ways to go about it that they're kind of stuck in trying to figure that out versus starting to take it, action. I'm curious, have you seen anything like that's been effective you know, the, in doing that? The one that everybody will point to forward? is ILPA with the, you know, the limited partners um, association and private equity and trying to get mm -hmm. different fee arrangements and, and different like LPACs, like limited partner um, committees and things like that. So um, it, has that been effective? No, probably not. You know, like if we're, re if we're real, like <laughs> they're doing the good work, they're out there fighting the good fight, but like, if you go talk to you know private equity professionals at at asset owners around the world, um, I think they're still pretty crabby that they're not getting the information they want from GPs and the see through and the alignment and things like that. But like, and that's just like the core business of investing. That's not even like the the diversity questions that I think we're talking about, um, mm. equality questions and things like that. Uh, you know, this conversation has me wondering, Alicia, I want to put you on the spot a little bit. Um, the, cause like, you know, we're talking about the bad news and the way that people are handling the bad. I, like if you were to like, think about a dream, good news development, uh, that was like slightly within it, within the realm of possibility. Um, you know, I don't know if <laughs> on diversity like, in the institutional world in general, I mean, like, like or... really the, you know, something where you're like, this is like, honestly, the best thing I could imagine without departing from the bounds of this reality. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's, it's fucking impossible. That's such a difficult <laughs> question. I think, I think 
someone coming up with like an effective ESG solution that's like not very slow partial divestment potentially or like a little bit of engagement here and there like seeing something like very legitimate would be amazing and I don't know if that's out there yet but you know what was it yesterday today New York started you know the ball rolling further on their divestment from fossil fuels and like that's cool. I would, cool. Mm-hmm. I would um, love to see yeah. more of that maybe. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many interesting like possibilities. I would love to see super ridiculous performance emerging out of like some of these strategies. <laughs> right. So that like, if you're like, we're, we're like writing our own ticket to like a great outcome. Yeah. Like some, somebody like Darren at Illumin Capital who we had on here, mm-hmm. I don't know, nine months ago yeah. or something like, his strategy outperforms and like everybody's like desperate to get access to his fund, which is seeding diverse managers, you know, like that would be pretty badass outcome. And by the way, I think he is raising his second yeah, fund right now. A- I think I talked to him the other day. Like I think he's actually doing pretty well. So that, who knows? I'll introduce you, Alicia. Nice. Door. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Alicia, thank you so Sounds much for good. coming on the show. I mean, that's like, I think we're eating up our prepared questions. Yeah, no, I think we're, we're literally just answer. chatting. Um, <laughs> yeah, we love, we love to yeah. do your stuff. And, I love um, it. Thanks for, thanks for being here and keep working on these important topics. Thank you so much for having me. Love the podcast. Bye. Bye. Thank you for here. coming. Okay. Bye guys. Yes, of course. Bye. Yay. Yay. I'm always like the, I, I always forget that I, can kick people on my end. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh yeah, we've taken up a ton of your time. And uh, yeah, you know, it's like, yeah, you, you just point and click <laughs> look awkward. It's like at the end yeah, of Zoom exactly. meetings, like, they still um, don't have a good way to end Zoom meetings. Like it's still like you're kind of looking at so each other, being like, who's clicking out? Um, just ring a gong. I mean, well, you know, we can do like the, we have like. Yes. Transition. Why aren't you doing more of that, Sloan? <laughs> we need like a gong. When somebody says something because dumb of, on the show, know. it's like gong. <laughs> maybe there'd be too many gongs. I don't know. I I, I just I, I forget that this panel exists, you know, but I've got I've got all kinds of good stuff. I mean, like, you know. <laughs> yeah, I are. mean everyone's laughing right now. You can tell it's, so, <laughs> it's great. Such a fun time. There was such a <laughs> uh, you can tell we're dialed I, in I, I, after the break here. We're really yeah, yeah, crisp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but I'm so glad we were able to get Alicia yeah. on the show finally. I mean, I think she's got such a good, like, actual human perspective on, like, how this shit is evolving. It is fun. And, you know. I don't actually, think people realize, yeah, like, how it is, many it, allocators she's probably talking to every day. Like, more than me. Because as journalists covering yeah. this beat, like, yeah. um, she's out there, you know dialing and and talking to chief investment officers like four or five times a day so she's on it yep yeah and she puts out more copy than like almost anyone i know it's crazy it feels like it's one a week so i guess i should a fair assessment or is it more uh she's got like one or two stories on institutional investor and then she's got um her newsletter and then which is uh, so she got two newsletters actually she's got the essential allocator that's, That's an institutional like. investor newsletter. And then she's got She Spends, which is a personal finance newsletter um, that kind of centers, you know, non, non-bullshit Interesting. concepts of personal awesome. finance. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I recommend everyone sign up for both. Indeed. Um, yeah, exactly. But, you know, I mean, you know, 
I've already played many sound effects, but... Uh, I mean, there's really only one that I know you all love. Uh, People are fast-forwarding <laughs> just to hear that sound. Yeah, yeah, the beautiful, sonorous tones of the, uh, the Dear Ashby horn. Um, this is, of course, the segment uh, where, you know, we answer listener question, questions, you know, um, people send in questions for the one and only Ashby Monk. And, uh, and, we did, and then we banter. We sometimes give a decent um, it, answer. Not it, always. It's also historically the segment where I plug the podcast. And I have to say, a listener shared with me yesterday uh, a truly innovative strategy um, where they forced their partner uh, to leave us a five-star review. That <laughs> seems above board, uh, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I think, you know, that is really, really legitimate um, and yeah. just a disruptive I don't idea. think you need to feel bad uh, about forcing your partner to give us a five-star review. Yeah. Or it, children. Yeah, exactly. Or children. I mean, like, I, or, ch- or children. Anyone with an iTunes account. Uh <laughs> You know, like go when you're visiting yeah. your daughters in the hospital, open their iPhone. Have we, get, are we double serving. digits yet? <laughs> um, I have no idea. I have no idea. We were I have just talking. No idea. Half the uh, time we were talking to ourselves. However many reviews we have, it's not oh, enough. There's a cat more. back there. Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, the oh, this is uh, this is Cressy. She um, nice. Our neighbor found her outside of her pottery studio recently, and um, she has this thing. Interesting. Okay. Oh. Um, yeah, she has hyperthyroidism, um, so she's like kind of getting it together. Or as a cat, being. feline being. Or as a cat. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as a feline All right, being. Onward. Anyway, um, the first question this week is, how healthy is skepticism as part of an investor's tool? It's healthy. I, I mean, you know, it's like pretty it's much. It's healthy? <laughs> As far as I can tell, pretty much the entire <laughs> toolkit wouldn't function without skepticism. I mean, I, I feel like oftentimes I'm like, hey, yeah. you got to put a little bit more optimism uh, back into this process, especially if you're investing in uh, in like the world of, of like angel investing or venture investing. You know? Oh, God. You have to ask yeah, the question yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah that's like basically instead of like what could go wrong. Yeah. Uh, the, the interesting thing about that question is like, um, who is like appropriately skeptical? I think in a, in an organization, fixed income investors are often like, "What could go wrong?" Yeah, and and that's because like the upside is yep. capped, but the downside isn't. And what you'll find is equity investors yep. are usually very optimistic, um, and they're trying they're sort of thinking yep. about like the growth outcomes and things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, skepticism. You know, every due diligence you want to go into with you know like real questions about, you know, the management team, the companies, like you want to be a skeptic around um, accounting statements and things like that, you know, because guess what? Bad things happen. And and yeah, especially statements around impact too. Like I, the, you know, I think like the, you know, I actually, you know, not for nothing, I've just reviewed about like a thousand investor decks as part of my insane investment process. Um, And holy crap, do people really make a big issue out of small things? Like, you know, people will, will write 10 page reports about how they allow their employees to have eight hours of work off a week, off a year to volunteer. And they'll be like, last year, our employees worked for this volunteer organization and they, they handed out seven, you know, they packed yeah. 700 lunches exactly. for high school kids, you know, like the, no, that's called greenwashing. So, 
even though that is not climate yep. related, but that term applies to people basically making shit up and you're not skeptical enough out there on average. And so you don't check when Robin hood tells you that it's yep. free. It's not exactly free, you know, it, like all of yep. the free and now everybody has free trading. Um, and, and so, it, you know, these are the things that like having a healthy bit of skepticism just to go and get the facts that's a really valuable component of every investor. You know, you sh most of the time you have to nurture that in people because we like to trust each other. Yeah. Um, but that's most of the training for an investor yeah. is like building that skeptical muscle. And then I guess the level two skill is learning how to take that skeptical muscle and put it exactly. in your day-to-day -day life so that you're not, you know, like buzz totally 100% of the time. <laughs> Debbie Downer um, right, SNL so 2004. Debbie Downer, yeah. <laughs> or let's be uh, let's be real, Donnie Downer. True. Like fair point. Fair just, point. Sorry <laughs> about it. You know, yeah, like. Yeah, yep, yeah, Danny, Danny Downer. Downer yeah. but, um, what the next question is? I, I think really yeah. interesting philosophically. Um, what is the number one sign to you that a once innovative company has shifted its yeah. priority? Um, I've got this one. So get your pencil, pencil ready. You got it. Uh, mm -hmm. 24 got hour, oh, 24 hour operating day. So 24 hour, 24 hours, 24 hour grocery store. Mm. Nobody needs mm. to go to the gym at three 22 in the morning. Um, <laughs> I think like little gimmicks like that. Um, that's not the real, that's not my real answer, by the mm. way, but, but I did, I, I was driving by the 24 hour fitness the other day and I was like, what the fuck <laughs> is that? <laughs> like, it used to be innovative. What are you guys like? <laughs> is that the thing that like people are? You want to like win customers because they might need to go to the gym at two two twenty in the morning? You know, I think weirdly with gyms, like sometimes, uh, like a lot of people I know who've like slept mm. rough for various parts of time, like have used gyms as their uh, yeah. That's a good point. Uh, and so and be, if it, the the membership might... fee wasn't four hundred dollars, and you know, like. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it wasn't like ridiculous. No, yeah, my real exactly. answer is to look at the percentage of um, staff working on R&D versus go to market. Mm. Right? So like you want a high yep. percentage of staff working yep. on research and development and not marketing sales. And and you want to so say what you want to do is look at an industry and be like, okay, like what is the staff count? How many are in engineering teams, product teams, yep. things like that? Sales engineers might count as engineering. Uh, you know, and, and then you look at that compared to the go to market team. Like if, if it's very heavy towards like people smiling and dialing, you're, you're now in the exploitation yep. of the asset rather than the creation of new assets. Mm. And, and similarly, if you yep. have a CEO yep. that kind of comes out of, let's call it like MBA land, which is more like sales, marketing, yep. you know, ops, finance. Yep. Um, then you're more like, let's exploit this great asset that we have and, and generate high return rather than the engineering or the founders of these companies, which are usually, you know, coming out of some hard science. Um, then you're still kind of in an innovative yeah. mindset. But these are all things that like, I'm sure people have tested. I just didn't, I didn't take the time to Google, Google Scholar. I mean, I mean, that, that makes total sense though. Like, I, I mean, to me intuitively, like the dividend policy yep. too is a really good, you know, I mean, like. It's just, it's, it's, I mean, you know, there are, um, a bunch of companies that I like, I, I looked at recently that are like, they basically seem to acquire, uh, small startups and then 
you know, put them onto like enterprise sales platforms. Um, and like, you know, the whole bit is, well, we've already sold, you know, a, a such and such and so and so solution to the Fortune 500. Why don't we just bolt yeah. you onto our sales effort? Um, you know, uh, yeah, but start. this is the this is this is like the dynamic capabilities stuff that's been around for a long time. I think it was um, was it Williamson mm. or Samuelson? Anyway, it's like how do you how do companies mm. maintain that innovative posture while also like hitting their profit margins? And it's really hard. And you've seen it with Amazon. Yep. Like they've never paid a dividend, right? It's like yep. they're just reinvesting in themselves. And that's why you've got like, you know, space planes looking like dicks going up there. You know, it's like, <laughs> that's all they do. Yep. And, yep. Um, and so really, I think we call it organizational ambidexterity. And it's like investing in innovation mm. while um, focusing on efficiencies and profits. It's, a, it's like ambidextrous in that. Yeah, that's a great like, turn of phrase. It's like not yeah. everybody can write left-handed, right? And so like that's the muscle that you yep. need to build as a company if you want to sustain yourself over 100 years. Um, you need to be yeah. efficient on the things that you've kind of developed already, but maintain that posture to build new and innovative assets. Yeah, exactly. Like, for instance, if you're Crocs, like make little <laughs> things that I can put on my Crocs. Uh, open a 24-hour Crocs <laughs> Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, like, it, it's it's really, or just make me able to make my Crocs a little gayer than they yeah. already are with a little gay flag on them. Um, you know, the so the last question, um, I guess, you know, we have talked about this at, in various at various levels. Is it more eco-friendly to buy a new electric car or keep an existing used car in use longer? I think this is coming up because yeah. of the big climate report that came out. Um, and now all of a sudden everyone's thinking about and it. And somebody lot. wants permission to go and get a new Tesla, I'm guessing. So, you know, is it, yeah. Uh, or a Ford F-150, <laughs> you know who you are. <laughs> uh, I think I the, know the new electric Ford, Ford F-150. There's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of excitement in the listener uh, base. I am it. pumped about it because you can actually <laughs> charge your house according to the advertisement I saw. If the power goes out, you pull power out yep. of your Ford truck. And keep your fridge going. Yep. Which is just radical. That's built for um, There's two. There's two parts to this question, which I would just want to tease out. There's like the, the obvious part, which is like, let's think about the emissions, the, the carbon emissions from my activity. And there's a lot of yep, work yep, out yep, there. Yep. And I think like pulling it out of my ear, it's like three things. Like how old is the car? How much do you drive? And how big is the car? Like what is its fuel efficiency? Which should determine whether or not mm. you should keep your old car or buy a new electric. And if I'm remembering, it's like, if, if it's more than 10 years old, like it's so toxic that mm. you should just get rid of it. But if it's only five years old and you're only doing like 10,000 miles and it's a Honda, yeah, you should probably keep it for a few mm -hmm. more years. But that's only the individual piece. Yep. I think sometimes people lose sight of the fact that like, we're trying to build momentum behind an industry to electrify mm. cars. Yep. And so if we that makes all sense. like yep. buy cars a little bit earlier, you know, like then we might normally and buy electric, those signals are noticed by Daimler, by, you know, all the big companies mm. out there. That and, and it's those companies, not just Tesla, but like Ford, that are truly going to electrify yep. the fleet. And we want them to be like, oh, yep. shit, we can't ignore this space anymore. And so that's the momentum of the electricity mm. industry that I think sometimes people lose sight of when they're like, 
er, let's do the math mm. on like how much it costs to actually make a Tesla battery in terms of carbon. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, oh, well, you know, you have to harvest these, exactly. these minerals in like an unsustainable They're not wrong. Like, stuff, like if know? all, if yeah. all we're doing is like, yeah. you know, doing that like binary fucking math, um, you know, there, there's certain yep. situations where you shouldn't buy electric. But if we're thinking like entrepreneurs and building like a new future and trying to build momentum behind yep. the future, and we do this all the time in entrepreneurship where it's like, we need to make this feel inevitable so that everybody gets on board. Like, mm. by the way, that's why Elon gave his patents away. He was trying to like make this feel inevitable and build an ecosystem. Mm. And so like, if I buy an electric car instead of sense. keeping yeah. my gas car, like the the world needs to realize like I'm changing my house. I've now got solar on the roof of, you know, and it implies a lot mm. of stuff about the future that other companies will begin allocating resources differently. Yep. Yep. That makes, that makes total sense. Cause yeah, I mean like the people who put solar on the roof in 2016 or whatever, you know, are now yeah. onto the next thing. Uh, <laughs> You know, and uh, and yeah, like I, I guess you know there is just jump starting that needs to happen here. Where we go from system A. To you just described me. I have solar on the. I'm living in California. It's different. Like solar pays off in like 22 mm -hmm. minutes. Um, oh, you are. We're okay. getting it on the roof here. Uh, yeah, we just had a. We just had someone um, come look at it's our amazing. roof like a second ago. Um, and yeah, and they, like the, they said that you know here where we are in New York City, um, the. Our current bill for just our apartment is 150 yeah. bucks a month and change, depending on the air conditioners. That will now oh, be the bill for the whole thing. Like, yeah. Plus, they're going to give me a little a little cover from for parts of the garden. Up Beauty. Um, so you, can, you can you can grow your blueberries. <laughs> <laughs> I can grow my exactly. Like I've been trying to shelter yeah. my strawberries and my blueberries. Not for, your raspberries. You know, I mean, that's the other that's the other part of the. Yeah. <laughs> I want another segment on the knows. show. <laughs> Gar gardening. Yes. Yeah, gardening. <laughs> People are groaning. Uh, we'll do it at the end. We'll do it at the end. I mean, yeah, we'll, and we'll I, do it live. We'll do, we'll do it. Well, did, did anything happen to your garden? I you paid a human being to water my stuff. I know. Uh, I know. Although my wife mm, just like dropped mm -hmm. a water bill on me and I need to invest in gray water because I'm feeling a little bit sheepish <laughs> about um, a multi hundred dollar water bill. And I, frankly, mm. I'm starting to feel real bad about the drought and I need to just chill out. I was, you know, I'm here. I have been like really mm. focused on pulling carbon out of the atmosphere for all of you listeners. Um, and now I also need to contemplate the drinking water situation. So it's just super hard to be, you know, leading, mm. leading edge on all these environmental issues. Do you know about biochar? Biochar, talk to me. Uh, biochar, biochar is really, really cool. It's, um, so the, basically it is, um, a specifically combusted kind of waste, usually okay. human waste. I've got that. Um, but it's hard. It, that's illegal to buy. I've got US, a bit. I've got a bit. The world, <laughs> 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 um, but the, you know, you can get like, you know, old wood or whatever. And basically they combust this okay. stuff at extreme temperatures. It holds the carbon in it. You mix it into the soil. And then it improves water retention right. in the soil um, dramatically. And it also gives a whole bunch of a, a, a boost to like the fungal and um, like whatever, uh, you know, yeah. kind of mycorrhizal 
network that, that that's going there. It's it's like the, it's one of the like ancient uh, indigenous farming strategies that we sort of lost when um, like we kind of you know oh industrialized God, agriculture in you know yeah it's really it's really, really last cool. but not least there's a great show on tv where like two people like me and you they buy a farm and what's it it's called oh yeah a farm or something but we bought I think a it might be called yeah. we bought a farm um <laughs> this is not the jeremy clarkson thing on prime this is something else but mm-hmm. and it's all that kind of shit. They got the soil dialed in again. Then all of a sudden the snails came back yep. and they released, then they released ducks <laughs> and the ducks ate all the snails. And then when the ducks ate all the snails, like hawks started flying around to eat the duck. It was like, Oh my God. I love It's that. a pretty cool story about how you bring biodiversity <laughs> back. And it starts with making sure yeah. the soil is next level. So anyway, the, the soil, the soil is everything. I mean, like, I guess, you know, Nothing is investment advice except this. Take care of your soil. <laughs> this is the one fucking story. Uh, yeah, I'm going to get sued into a blue. I, I don't think like, you're allowed to be fucked with Sloan. You might need to beep out everything that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I am. I'm like, I, I, you know, I'm not fundraising. I, oh, that's I, right. I accept a client account. You're oversubscribed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm oversubscribed. Yeah, there's been too much interest. Uh, All right. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Let me get rain on them.